This is the Endangered Species Podcast, the podcast by aspiring men for aspiring men from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm Sean Ballendorf. I'm here with co-host Logan Bonji and Logs. How was the weekend? It was a good weekend, man. I spent it in San Diego, California. Oh, let's go. Did you surf? I didn't. I, I'm trash at surfing. I would love to try it. I'm not going to lie. I am not interested in the one in one million chance that I get a great shark in my ribs. <laughs> it's rare that people get attacked by sharks, but it's pretty terrifying. It's probably know. rarer than one in a million, but I don't know. Well, man, I can't wait to talk about today's topic. Why don't you tell us what we're talking about today, bud? Yeah, Sean, we're talking about singleness today and what it looks like to be single, what it looks like to be a single guy. And I'm excited to talk about it because it's it's fresh on the mind for me. The reason I was in San Diego this weekend actually is I was at a single staff retreat for the ministry we work for. And uh, it was awesome. I got to connect with my single coworkers, unmarried coworkers, and we got to spend a weekend developing. And part of our development this weekend was uh, I got to actually give a, a short talk on singleness and why it's awesome. And so we figured let's let's chop it up, and and we've heard from a lot of guys that are wanting to hear about this. I know we've said that for a few episodes, but this is at the top of the list for single dudes in college and in their early twenties and even beyond of trying to figure out and and dialogue about. Okay, I'm in a season of singleness. How do I maximize it? How do I do it well? And so we want to have a conversation about what that might look like, and we're excited to chop it up with you guys. It is interesting when you think about as a believer, right? One of the standards that. Jesus places on his followers is that we are sexually disciplined, sexually holy, or set apart from the way the world does it. In other words, uh, your only outlet for righteous sex is with your spouse inside of your marriage. And the reason I say all that at the outset of a singleness podcast is that for the Christian man, I think a lot of times guys are like, dang, Bible says it's better to marry than to burn with passion man, I just need to get married. What's all this chilling out, being single for 10 years? No, I want to be married. I want to be having sex. And, and so there are all these myths that come about, I think, uh, about singleness. What are some of those, man? Yeah, there's an awesome book, which right off the bat, I'll recommend. I recommend, I recommend this to a lot of people all the time because I think it's awesome. It's called Seven Myths About Singleness. It's by a guy, Sam Alberry, who is an awesome speaker, awesome author, just an awesome thinker. I really respect that guy a ton. And um, yeah, in the book, he debunks in seven chapters, seven myths about singleness. And there's some really big standout ones. The whole book, top to bottom, is amazing. One of the ones that stands out to me the most kind of in line with what you're talking about, Sean, is that uh, as a single person, you can't experience intimacy. Because really what our culture has told us is that intimacy equals sex. Like that's where you find intimacy is in a physical, sexual relationship. But Sam just debunks and talks about how that's not how the Bible talks about intimacy. Um, and that was something that we got to talk about this weekend as a team was the intimacy of friendship, the intimacy of biblical friendship. I think of guys like Jonathan and David in the Old Testament, and there are countless examples of biblical friendship throughout scripture. And I think of Proverbs eighteen twenty four that talks about how a friend sticks closer than a brother. Um, living in pure, real biblical fellowship, we actually get to experience pure and real intimacy, uh, that it really is uh, an untruth that the only way that you get to experience intimacy 
is in a sexual relationship because the other reality is is that not all sexual relationships are actually intimate that they can be really even married ones yeah so the myth that needs to be debunked is that intimacy equals sex sex equals intimacy vice versa and we actually get to pursue intimacy and should be pursuing intimacy in a pure healthy real way um, in friendships in our lives and that we can actually manage and do our whole lives without physical sexual relationships but we can't manage and do our lives without intimacy and that intimacy comes from the family of God, the the healthy, real, good intimacy that we were created to experience. I think of in Genesis when God creates humanity and the first thing that he says is not good. Like he, he creates everything that we see and he says it's good, it's good, it's good. And the first thing that we hear that God says is not good is when man's alone. And I think when I read that scripture and think, okay, it's not good for man to be alone, the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, marriage, right? It's like I need to fix that aloneness with marriage um but then that if that were the case that scripture wouldn't apply to jesus who is single his whole life to paul who is single his whole life uh to me who's unmarried right now and so i think we need to know that what god's saying is that hey it's not good for for humanity to be alone for man to be alone that's not only solved in marriage that there's actual real relationship that we can develop with the people around us uh here and now while we're unmarried Right after I started following Jesus my freshman year in college, I just had had a string of broken relationships in my path. And so I made a decision, I, I'm I'm going to be single for at least the time being. I didn't set an exact time frame on it, but I was like, for the foreseeable future, I'm not pursuing any relationships. And it ended up being over three years before I ever decided to pursue dating. And it was amazing seeing those three years, God placing uh, deep friendship after deep friendship in my life putting guys in my life that are uh, going to be on stage with me at my wedding should that be in the cards for me in, in the future. And I got to experience real awesome intimacy with those guys in a way that's healthy and real. Um, and I have those single years to thank for that. Yeah, there's been a lot of excellent work done the last 10, 15 years talking about the importance of intimacy being essentially someone else fully knowing you as well as another human can, and still unconditionally accepting and loving you. That doesn't have to happen only in the confines of marriage. That can happen in communities um, with single and married people. It doesn't just have to be between husband and wife. So I agree with you 100%. Um, And therefore, you could say probably that the main goal in life or the main goal of a Christ follower is not to get married. Yeah, but we think of <laughs> we think about it sometimes that way. Like I, I think in even church and ministry cultures, there can be this kind of air where it, it really does kind of become the main goal in life, which it just isn't. It's it's not. Um, and in light of that, like Sean, what what is the main goal of life? Like if because if we're just going to say, well, it's the the main goal in life is not to get married. I think it's important to touch on for a minute. Like what what is the main goal in life? Yeah, well, I I think you would uh, do well to stick with the Westminster Catechism on this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Piper came along in the 90s and amended that a bit and said the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. It glorifies God when we do enjoy him. I I love his uh, take on that. Um, But ultimately, life is about glorifying God. You can glorify God as a married person. You can glorify God as a single person. Is it wrong to seek marriage? No. Should you seek celibacy? My personal take on that, you know, if you're going to be lifelong celibate, 
is it really does have to be something that God grants you. Uh, if you want to get married, you probably should get married. Yeah, it's awesome. And I think of even the way that scripture talks about singleness and marriage in various different areas. I think First Corinthians 7 for me comes to mind and in what you were just saying and the way Paul discusses singleness in particular. First uh, Corinthians seven thirty two through 35. I think it's important to read it for a sec. Paul just says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way and undivided devotion to the Lord. And so it's important to know that what Paul's not contrasting there is like uh, good or bad or easy or hard. Like Paul's not saying that singleness is easier or better than marriage, not even close. He's contrasting simplicity with complexity. He's just saying that, hey, in reality, singleness is just a more straightforward, simple way of life. And so in light of that, you can do ministry in ways that married people just can't. And I actually think that's an awesome gift. I think there is the idea out there that you're incomplete if you're not married, you know, and I'm talking about within the church. I think Christians think this a lot and it's probably more prevalent among Christian women, but I also think there are a lot of Christian guys who, who kind of think, man, I'm just sort of incomplete and, and maybe they would even quote the Genesis scripture you quoted earlier. It's not good for man to be alone. What would you say to that guy who thinks like that? Yeah, it's like the soulmate mentality. It's like I am I am a half person walking around, wandering the earth, looking for my other half, you know? Um, yeah, I think what I would say, I would go back to Jesus, like I kind of briefly mentioned earlier. Um, and Sam Albury touches on this in his book. He has this awesome quote. I couldn't really say it any better, so I'm just going to read it. He just says, he, Jesus, is the most complete and fully human person who ever lived. So his not being married is not incidental. It shows us that none of these things, marriage, romantic fulfillment, sexual experience, is intrinsic to being a full human being. The moment we say otherwise, the moment we claim a life of celibacy to be dehumanizing, we're implying that Jesus himself is only subhuman. And this puts some weight on the conversation because Jesus is the fullest and purest and most perfect example of what it is to be human, and he was never even married. And so what what that means, again, is not that marriage is wrong or bad or harder, uh, but what it does mean is that as a single person, if I believe that Jesus is really who he said he was, then I can be whole and complete as a single person. And really, the only way to be whole and complete is in Jesus. It is interesting to me because as I look out in the world, the world's messaging is not hurry up and get married. The world's messaging has become more and more extend your frat life, extend your singleness. In fact, why get married? What's the utility of that? Uh, hook up with women, uh, have a long-term girlfriend. Why would you ever get involved legally with someone else? What's even the point of marriage? That's the message of the world in the last 10, 15 years, right? Right which is not the kind of singleness that we're advocating for at all. Not at all. On the other hand, you have the church who through programming, overt messaging, and I think even indirect messaging, it might even be as uh, indirect as the announcements at a church service. You know, here are the things that are going on this week. And the single person sits there and goes, man, there's no room at this church for me. There's no programming. There's no design. There's no plan to disciple me or get me involved. 
I think that can happen a lot too. It's all family-based or marriage-based. But all that said, how do we navigate that middle ground, man? How do we value marriage the way God values marriage? It's his invention. And yet at the same time, pour into single people and treat them as co-heirs with married people in the body of Christ. Yeah. And I'm not sure if there will be anybody listening to this podcast who feels literally called to singleness for their life. I think, I think though of like John Stott is one of my favorite theologians of all time. And he made the decision to be single for his life. And I'm daily, daily grateful for how he opened up his life and his singleness to be used by God in the way he did, because I know Jesus better today as a result. I, I don't know if there's anybody listening right now that feels called to singleness for life. If there is, it's, it's probably slim. And so for, for the rest of the audience that, that's tuning in, and myself included, I desire to be married. Like that's something that I desire. And the Bible tells me that that's actually a good desire. That's not like a, a wrong desire or a bad desire. I do think when a, a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, a good desire becomes an ultimate desire, then it becomes an idol. It becomes sin. But if it's in its rightful place, that's a, that's a good desire. And so for the majority of our audience, I think the conversation has to become, okay, in these single years, whether it's one, two, three, four, five, 10, 15, 20, however long, how do we maximize these years? How do we steward them well? How do we use them to, to serve Jesus rather than ourselves? The first answer to that question that I would give is to learn to be content. Because we think of contentment as just, hey, be content with your singleness so that you can be content as a single person. Actually, the Bible says, be content in all circumstances in Philippians. Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in every, in any situation. In other words, it wasn't, Hey, learn to be content while you're single until you're married. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like telling people, Hey, stay sexually pure until you're married. Like people use that language all the time. It's like, no, actually you need to be sexually, holy, pure, self-controlled your entire life. I think of what our friend Dave said earlier. If you're not content in singleness, you're not going to be content in marriage either. 100%. The, the worst people to be married to are discontent, ungrateful, complaining, selfish people. And if you're not working on that while you're single, uh, even if you've been married before, right? And, and now you're single again, for whatever reason you're single, if you're not working on contentment, you're not contributing toward your future contentment, whether your future situation is married or single. And so to me, one of the most important things you can do in order to make the most of your single years is to develop contentment. What are some other ways we can make the most of our single years, Logan? Yeah, I love that. I think in kind of a similar vein, um, another area that I've heard from married friends, I'm, I'm unmarried, but what I've heard from married friends is that uh, marriage doesn't inherently give you self-control. Like, I think that's another lie that some single guys believe is that like, well, if I'm if I'm not self-controlled in this area, maybe it's sexual purity. Like if I'm not self-controlled in this area, then having a wife and being in marriage will actually fix that problem for me. But again, I've, I've heard from enough married people at this point, I can't speak from experience, but just remarking on the fact that that's just not true. <laughs> like that is completely untrue. So I think uh, another practical can be to develop self-control uh, while you're in your single years. Sean, what are some what are some practical ways that you think single guys can develop self-control while while they're in their single years? I don't know if you're only talking about sexual purity, but I'd like to take it broader. I think about financial self-control, saying you're not going to spend more than a certain amount of money on a given month and then keeping that promise to yourself. 
I think about your thought life. That could be contentment. That could be gratitude. That could be keeping your thoughts holy sexually. Work ethic is another area where self-control comes into play. Are you disciplined? Have you developed work ethic so that people can count on you? It could even be things like punctuality. You know, I love the old statement that there's no such thing as on time. There's only early and late. And so I think it's important to develop at least a reputation of punctuality. That doesn't mean that I'm on time or early, so to speak, 100% of the time, but it needs to be high 90s. Like it needs to be. Yeah, you're reliable. You're reliable. And so self-control is a character attribute that applies to so many areas of, of our lives. I think about even about eating. You know, for so much of my life, eating has been something that I've done when I'm stressed or bored or down after a big loss in my life. I go comfort eat. We tend to kind of, uh, not to be chauvinistic, but I think a lot of guys sort of think that's just like a female thing. Like, oh yeah, women do that. Women all get together and pound ice cream after one of them breaks up with somebody. No, that's a human thing. You know, I, I'm the first to admit that, that I struggle with that. And while you're single, it's not that you have a unique opportunity to develop self-control because at all stages of life, you have an opportunity, but the stakes become higher when you get married. And so it's important to develop self-control and bring that character attribute into the marriage instead of hit the panic button once you're married and go, oh shoot, this is exposing my lack of self-control. I better get on the fast track because the reality is there is no fast track to self-control. It takes time building the self-control muscle. Yeah. I love what you've said to me before. And I know this isn't an original quote from you, but I, I re still really love it. It's just this idea that you're, you're, you're never going to be ready to lead another person before you learn to lead yourself. And I think that that has so much to do with the self-control conversation. That's really what it is. Like you are, you're learning to lead yourself and you have to do that before you can be ready to lead another person. Sean, what's another area that a guy can practically maximize his singleness? Use your flexibility to serve the Lord. My schedule now is so much tighter, so much less free, so much less flexible than it was when I was single. And here's the thing, Logan, I have a very uh, permission-giving wife. Like if I said, you care if I go to San Diego this weekend and go surfing with the guys, she'd be like, I would love for you to do that. All that said, I'm still with my schedule less flexible than when I was a single man. You have chances while you're single to take mission trips. You can pick up uh, at a moment's notice and go on a camping trip with some guys. You could go serve overseas. You could go serve overseas for two, three, four years. You can basically go anywhere in the world almost at a moment's notice when you're a single man. You're not raising kids. You don't have a wife that you're teamed up with yet. It's so important to redeem that time. Ephesians 5 says, redeem the time. The days are evil. In other words, buy back the time. Make the most of the time that you've been given. And as a single person, you'll look back one day when you're married and go, did I do that? Did I do that or, or did I just squander it away? Did I watch three seasons of the same season of Netflix when some show came out? When, dude, you, you should be out there conquering the world for Christ as a single man. Yeah, that's something my friends and I discussed and dialogued about this weekend was how we all got to cruise out to San Diego with without needing permission from anyone other than our bosses. But that that's pretty much it. It's like 
there's no wife, there's no kids to jump through hoops or clear hurdles for. We got to just make that decision and go for it. But I love what you said at the very beginning of, of this point was using that freedom and that, uh, like Paul talks about, that simplicity and that straightforwardness to serve Christ rather than self. Because I think you could take it the other direction and and say, well, I don't have to clear this with anybody, so I can just do whatever I want. Which, yeah, you could. You could do whatever you want. You don't have to get permission from anybody else from a life standpoint. But our hope and our desire and our prayer for for ourselves, for myself as an unmarried guy and for everybody listening is that we would use our unmarried years, our single years to serve Christ rather than self. Because I think there really is a strong desire as a single guy to um, do whatever I feel like I want to do. Uh, even if that's not an inherently bad thing. Like I, I don't think going on trips is, is a bad thing. I don't think having fun, just doing what you want to do is a bad thing. But if that's all it ever is, if all you're ever choosing to do is things that you want to do rather than using that freedom to sacrifice and to serve Jesus and the people around you, then I think you're squandering the potential purpose that you could have in your single years and that potential flexibility and freedom and extra time that you just won't have as a married guy. I think that would be missing it. And I, I miss it all the time. I, I think I think I consistently uh, could be making more and more sacrifices, dedicating more and more of my time to serving Jesus and the people around me. And that's something I want to continue to grow in. But I'm challenged in that. It's like, man, am I using this freedom that I have right now to do that, to serve Christ rather than self? One thing I'm so glad that I did, I made a lot of mistakes in my single years and the ways that I used my time. I'm sure I squandered days and hours and weeks. But one thing I'm so glad I did is I learned to treasure scripture and to invest in my own soul, invest in the flavoring of my own mind through scripture memory, meditation, time in the word. You think about it. I don't know how many of you guys out there are spending, say, an hour a day in the word. I would say that would be the exception rather than the rule from the guys I know. But let's say you're even doing that much, that you're aggressively spending time with the Lord and you're spending an hour a day in scripture. There are 168 hours in any given week. Now, obviously, if you sleep, you know, let's say seven hours a night, there's 49 of those hours gone, but 168 minus 49, what's that, 119? And so if you spend an hour a day in the Word, now you're down to 112 waking hours left. I want to challenge you guys to take those hours, obviously you're going to be working a job or doing some school or something like that, but I want to challenge you to invest in yourself spiritually. When I was a single guy, every Sunday I would get out of church, I would go eat something with some friends, and then I would go and spend the next six, seven hours just alone with the Lord. I would nap a little, I would pray a little, I would meditate on scripture, I would read the Bible, I would memorize scripture, I would do my Bible study, I would do some planning for the week, I would pray over my plans, and I would just take a solid six, seven hours and just enjoy it you know it became my sabbath and i would just enjoy time with the lord i could say i can't do that now there are times when i could do that now because i've i've got two out of the house now and only one son at home but there were a lot of years in my married life where i could not do that and there are a lot of sundays now where i cannot do that while you're single you have an opportunity to take that time and just sow the scripture into your heart because later those seeds are going to come up and grow and they're going to bear a harvest of righteousness in your life. And in, in line with all of this, we can kind of continue on this. I think of something that you touched on in terms of uh, serving others rather than just having 
experiences, we should be using our, our singleness and that flexibility to invest in others spiritually, to make disciples. Yes, soaking in God's word, studying it, memorizing it. We're never going to have more time than we have right now to do that, but also using it to live outwardly rather than just individually and to actually make disciples and pour into others spiritually. How did you get to do that as a single guy versus as a married guy? Because I know, Sean, you still continue to make disciples all the way through being a married guy, being a father, which is incredible, and it's something I look up to. But how like, how did discipleship, making disciples look different in your single years than it has as, as a married guy? Dude, a lot of times it meant going with guys that I was discipling to go spend time with their families. I wanted to know what made this guy tick. Why is this guy the way he is? And also I wanted their families to trust me more. I love taking trips of meaning. What I don't love is just going and taking trips and it's just like, man, let's just go do something just to do it. Nothing wrong with going and laying on the beach, but some of that, man, some of that, there should be some component of evangelism. There should be some component of discussing scripture. There should be, man, let's pray about that. I love to take guys golfing. But unless at some point while we're walking down the fairway, we're talking about something meaningful. And if the guy's a believer, we're, you know, I like to say, hey, let's pray for our marriages. Let's pray for your future wife. Let's pray for these guys that you're trying to impact. So much of those activities, if you're a single guy out there, crosses over into raising kids, man. If you're making disciples now, you're going to be able to figure out how to make disciples with your kids. If you're not, if you're not leading men, you mentioned earlier, Logan, lead yourself first. Yes, we need to learn to lead self. But then we also need to learn to lead others. We need to learn to make disciples. We need to learn to teach others how to walk with God. And ultimately, if you're able to do that, I have no worries about your ability to lead a wife, to lead children one day. If you're not doing that, there's a lot of selflessness. There's a lot of intentionality that's probably not in your life yet that you need to develop like yesterday. I think in line with living outwardly, um, Sean, you talk about learning to be accountable in relationships. Uh, we talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. You talked earlier about intimacy and intimacy being people knowing you 100%. Right. And so, you know, that's on you, man. We can always hide from each other. We can always hide certain internet searches. We can always hide certain aspects of our schedule. We can always hide aspects of our thought life. People aren't going to see that. But as a single man, I think it's important to have a few other guys that you're accountable to, that that you learn to check in with, that you learn to stay in close contact with. Um, I see some guys out there, they just kind of disappear. They, they don't text back. They don't call back for you know weeks on end at times. And it's like, no, dude, the Christian race is not a loner race. It's not an individual sport. It's a team sport. Part of growing in our character as single men is building in what you have built in as marriage. In marriage, you don't just share a house, you share a bedroom. You don't just share a bedroom, you share a bed. And so there is some built-in accountability in marriage. It's it's not foolproof. We all know that. guys, Married guys do all kind of crazy stuff that, that gets exposed later. But the more relational accountability you can build in with other men. And that can be with married men too. It doesn't have to just be with a group of single guys. Sometimes some older married men are the best accountability you can have in your life. Yeah. I've loved having older married men pour into my life. Just that's, that's wisdom and perspective that you just can't get as a younger single guy. And I love all my buddies who are younger and single. I'm grateful for their accountability in my life, but having older, wiser men to pour into my life as a single guy has been a game changer.
John, let's touch on too, maybe some less overtly spiritual ways that guys can maximize their singleness. Like I know you talk a lot about how you can use that, all that free time and all that freedom to um, have good hobbies, to like learn new skills. What are some things that come to mind for what single guys can look into in that department? Man, I think about learning about money, how it works, learn about investing, uh, figure out real estate or the market or something. Bring some sort of knowledge and skill that's supplemental to your career into your marriage one day. The more you teach yourself and invest in yourself, whether it be knowledge or skill sets, the more valuable you become. Yeah, go listen to our last podcast and apply some of those principles. Check out some of those resources that Sean referenced. Absolutely. I think about the value that you can bring, not just to your wife one day, but also to your friendships now. The value you can add in your church, the value you can add um, if you're in college to your relationships in your fraternity or your athletic team or just in your friendships, the value that you can add to a Bible study when you come in and you know things that other people don't. So in your single years, there are good times. You know, some of you guys are wanting to pursue a degree that takes eight or 11 years. You may want to be a doctor or go to become an attorney and you have to go to law school. Those can be better things to do while you're single. Because once you're married, it is tough on a marriage to go through, for example, residency and stuff like that. I'm not saying if the right person's in your life, you know, to wait seven more years, you know, uh, until you get married. But, but those are things to consider when you think about how to invest your single years. Here's what you don't want. If what you're bringing to a marriage is just a brain full of media and hours and hours and hours logged to Fortnite. Okay. You know what? That stuff doesn't really translate into good leadership in a marriage. It just doesn't bring value. What brings value is a guy who has uh, depth in his prayer life, is a guy who has healthy relationships, which brings me to another thing, is a guy who has dealt with his past in healthy ways. One of the most important things you can do while you're a single man is learn to unpack the baggage of your growing up years. Yeah, go see a counselor now as a single guy. That may be going through authentic manhood, that may, which can be found at authenticmanhood.com. It may be seeing a counselor. Uh, all of us have issues and baggage related to our family of origin. My sons do as well. <laughs> as I launch them out into the world, my wife and I's stated goal was to launch them out into the world uh, with less baggage than we had when we launched out into the world. And really, if it, you know, every set of parents does that, your kids will be in good shape and so will your grandkids. Mm -hmm. But man, you have blind spots. We all have blind spots. We have baggage, emotional issues. We have ways we think about people that aren't healthy. And we don't even know a lot of them. That's what's scary. Why bring that into a marriage and then have them get exposed? Why not, as you said, go see a counselor and go, hey, you know, I just wanted to debrief from my growing up years and learn how can I deal with these emotional issues now so that my future wife doesn't have to deal with them. That's so helpful for me, like as an unmarried guy, and I hope it's helpful for every single guy listening that we really can maximize these single years and make the most of them and run hard after God and do kingdom work in ways that married people just can't. And for married people listening too, I hope it's been encouraging to find ways to love on your single friends and the single people in your life in some new ways too. And maybe even just have a better, better understanding of where they're at uh, all across the board. I'm, I'm thankful for those thoughts, Sean. 
Logan, I want to throw one more in that I think is really important. As you live with roommates, I would encourage you not to live alone for most of your single years. It's just so much better for accountability. I'm not saying never live alone. My favorite semester of college, I had my own room. It was unbelievable. Every other semester I lived with somebody. Uh, but that said, when you live with somebody, you're going to have conflicts. You're going to bother each other. You're going to bug each other. And there, there are a few different ways to deal with those conflicts. One way is just to ignore it and just stuff it down and tell yourself you're giving people grace, but really you're just getting bitter at them. And another way is to explode on people. That's not healthy either. I think a third and the only healthy way is to learn to have crucial conversations. And there's a book of that title that I would highly recommend every single man to read, Crucial Conversations, because it coaches you through how to resolve conflict and have really important conversations with other people in healthy ways. Why do I say that? Because if you develop a pattern of doing these first two unhealthy ways of relating when you're frustrated or angry or ticked off by some expectation that wasn't met, you're developing patterns of relating. And you're going to bring those into your marriage with your wife and your kids. And I brought some unhealthy patterns of relating into my marriage because I didn't learn fully how to resolve conflict in healthy ways. In the first few years of marriage, I did learn some of that. My wife taught me some of that, but man, it could have saved us so much hassle and could have saved her a lot of headache. In short, I think it's a gift to your spouse, to your wife one day. It is a gift to bring the best you to the altar, to bring the most mature, the, the one who knows the most scripture, the guy who's the most humble, the guy who's developed in service, the guy who is most yielded to Christ, the guy who has unloaded his emotional baggage from his past, the guy who has sought forgiveness and extended forgiveness, the guy who can come in and lead and serve in a humble way and doesn't bring all this mess that so many of us uh, leave home with when we turn 18. I know I did anyway. Man, guys, I hope today was helpful for you as you think about how to maximize your single years. Man, if I could sum all this up in one sentence, I would say, man, instead of spending your single years, invest them. Man, invest in others, invest in yourself, do all the things we talked about today. Next week, we're gonna actually talk about something different than singleness. We're gonna talk about how to lead a relationship with a woman. We're going to share some biblical principles as well as opinions. Until next week, guys, let's get the godly man off of the endangered species list. Peace.